0: I think for your benefit, it's great that I can take off the black mask when I stand up here, not least because a man with my accent and a black mask uh, could send you home with uh, altogether the wrong impression. Uh, But more seriously, it is a pleasure uh, to be with you this morning. We've been looking forward to it as a family for for quite a wee while. Um, And my sincere prayer is that this will be uh, an exercise in us all, Uh, meeting uh, with God, Uh, that each one of us will be touched uh, by Him, Uh, and that as we leave this building uh, this morning, or as uh, the service closes this morning, wherever you happen to be, uh, that your heart will have been touched by God, and that you will have been transformed even just another wee bit into the image of His dear Son, our Savior. With that in mind, let's just say a wee word of prayer. Let us pray. Our Father, as we bow before you now in these moments, just before we turn to your Word, we pray that you will prepare our hearts and our minds. Help us to be receptive to what you have to say to us. Lord, uh, block out all distracting thoughts. Help us, dear God, to engage with you in a real and meaningful way, we pray. Uh, To the glory of your name we pray. Amen. Quick reading from... Uh, Ephesians. uh, My my passage this morning is the one that was read just a few moments ago, but I will be referring to this passage as well. In Ephesians chapter 4, we read these words, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And then Paul goes on to say, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirits of your minds, and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Friends, I'm sure you will agree with me when I say that Armchair experts would make uh, uh, an interesting uh, subject, and uh, I'm sure somebody somewhere, if they haven't done it, they must have at least thought uh, about doing a PhD on the subject of armchair experts. It's easy to um, know it all in a sense when we're sitting in the comfort of our homes. You know, virtually uh, all members of my family, except for myself, I have to say, are a, a wee bit crazy. Uh, about football. Uh, They take it quite seriously. They uh, like to keep an eye on how their own team is doing, of course, but besides that, they like to see how their most dangerous opponents uh, are faring. Uh, One brother supports Man United. Another supports Leeds United. I've got a cousin who supports Chelsea, and so you can imagine the dynamic when you get those three in a room together. They know all the names of the players of their teams past and, present. and to give them some credit, I have to say that when they were younger, they could play a fairly mean game themselves. Indeed, even my sister went through a phase where she could cite the names of almost all of the footballers in the English Premier League and could talk a very good match indeed. The best lineup, the best substitutes, the best tactics. Friends, just imagine for a moment. How different our world would be if the armchair expert could simply watch football on television, learn all the rules of the game, instill in their minds the various tactics, and then step onto a football field and play as good as many of the greats, whether that's Messi, Ronaldo, Rooney, or Evans, or some of your more local uh, players. You know, if people could play football as good as they talk about football, then even old favorites such as Pelly and George Best or Beckham would be amateurs in comparison. It's true that many people can talk the talk when it comes to football. But we all know that talking is not the same as doing. In other words, talking about football will not make an armchair expert a famous footballer. And I think it's fair to say that to become competent, let alone expert and famous as a footballer, it seems to me that a person needs at least two things. The first is gift. There's no doubt about it. These men are incredibly talented. They have gift. But if you speak to any one of them, they would all... Uh, s- state very clearly that it also took a lot of hard work. Gift wasn't enough. It took a lot of hard work and training for them to get where they are today. And we'll come back to that thought uh, uh, a wee bit later on. In this first chapter of his letter, Peter sets out to encourage his readers, people who have been dispersed uh, through the various nations. And he he tries to encourage them by explaining to them the doctrine of salvation. What an incredible thing to use to try and bring encouragement to God's people, simply talking to them about the greatness of their salvation, the doctrine of salvation, pointing out just how incredible it is how even the prophets who spoke about it, longed to see it in their day. How even the angels are fascinated by it as they look down from on high. What I find interesting, though, about Peter's teaching methods is that immediately following his words of encouragement, he goes straight on to give his readers a a wee nudge, if I can put it like that, a wee nudge to take some relevant action. He encourages them to live as obedient children. He emphasizes their need to be holy. Now again, I I think many of you will agree with me when I say this. uh, Holiness is possibly an an inexhaustible subject. Uh, Certainly volumes have been written on it over the years. And it seems to me that many Christians fall into one of two categories regarding their view of holiness. On the one hand, uh, some suggest, especially in our uh, postmodern times, that what really matters is being true to yourself. That's the, the subjective argument, if you like. Just follow our own hearts. In other words, if God has accepted me as I was, yet a sinner, then our new life in Christ is one that should be lived out in the freedom of the grace of God and the freedom that Christ has given us. Any attempt to force yourself to keep a set of rules that are foreign to you is considered uh, simply a denial of God's free acceptance of you and your authentic existence. Indeed, some who hold this particular view may even object that to, to tell Christians they ought to live by a set of rules is, is nothing short of legalism. On the other hand, others suggest that holiness is the application of God's rules or God's laws to our Christian lives. For them, God's law, though summed up by Jesus in, in Uh, those concise words of love God and love your neighbor, the whole law of God, certainly the moral law, is still applicable to the child of God today and should be part and parcel of what directs our lives. One accuses the other of legalism. The second accuses the other of liberalism or licentiousness. So, just how are we as Christians, to live. How can we live in a way to please God, a way that avoids both legalism and liberalism? Is it about being true to ourselves and living in God's free grace? Or is it about keeping the rules? Is it about obeying God's commands, having been saved by God's free grace? Friends, I want to just lay my cards on the table right from the outset and say it's not as simple or as black and white as that. And I want to suggest that it's really both. It's an amalgamation of both of these views. If you think about it, it is about being ourselves. It is about being authentic. After all, uh, God knows us, and nothing is hidden from Him. therefore, pretending to be something we are not just won't work. The external applications of rules simply won't work. However, and friends, this is, this is a, an important qualification. However, it seems to me that if the Christian life is about being ourselves, then surely it ought to be about being our new selves that Paul talks about in Ephesians. Our reborn selves, living out the principles and the rules of God that the Bible tells us by virtue of the Holy Spirit taking up habitation in our hearts. Those rules and regulations have now been written On our hearts. They are now part and parcel of our new nature. It's interesting to consider how Christ and the apostles approached the subject. Nowhere in all the reading I've done have I ever found that Christ tells us to simply obey the rules the objective argument, nor indeed did he tell us to simply follow our own hearts and live authentically, the subjective argument. Rather, it seems to me that Jesus and the apostles after him pointed out how simply keeping the law was superficial to what God wants in us. Indeed, C.S. Lewis summed it up very succinctly when he said, you simply cannot make a man good by law. Jesus took the law to a whole other level by showing how the law should be used to develop our very thought patterns, not simply our outward behavior. As mentioned earlier, uh, Peter sets out to uh, encourage his readers, and I think what he's encouraging them to do is to develop Christian character. Develop Christian character by making informed choices, that is, choices that are informed by the written Word of God that is also written upon our hearts. In the opening verses of his letter, Peter points out the following. He says Christians are are elected by God. They are chosen from all the people of the world to have a, a special relationship with God, He goes on to say they are sanctified by the Holy Spirit, all the work of God, all a work of God. And then in verse 2, he goes straight to the point. He says, so that, so that they might live in obedience to Jesus Christ. Likewise, in the passage that was read earlier, verses 13 and 14, Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace of, to be given as obedient children. However one may interpret the concept of holiness, friends, it is clear that for Peter, encouragement in our salvation, confidence that we are saved, hope in God's redeeming grace, free and unmerited, are connected to our behavior. They are connected to our conduct, and the sort of characters that God wants us to be. He wants us to be holy. Look again at verses 13 through to 16, if you've got your Bible with you. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Christ Jesus is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. In other words, be your new self, not your old self. Be authentic to your new self. Verse 15 goes on. But just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. But friends, I'm only it's only possible to touch on this subject this morning. So setting aside uh, the fact that holiness is a gift, it is something that God imparts to us. Also setting aside the fact that holiness is commanded, which it clearly is. I want to consider just two elements to true obedience or holiness this morning. The Bible talks about putting off certain behaviour and putting on other behavior. And this putting off and putting on is expressed by Paul in his letter to the Ephesians that I read just uh, earlier on. But they're also seen here in 1 Peter. Firstly, let's look at putting off as part of character building. Peter says this, "'Do not conform to the evil desires you had "'when you lived in ignorance.'" Paul simply says, put off your old self. Because I have to confess that where I had limited or little understanding of temptation before I was saved, I certainly know what temptation is today, that I am born of the Spirit of God. The true child of God, understands better than the unsaved just what temptation really is. Yet, it is his or her desire to live for God and to be obedient to Him. The problem, of course, is what Peter describes as the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. And Peter is urging his readers not to conform anymore to these desires or to to put off their old way of doing things. I think it's fair to say, those of us who have been on the Christian road for some time now, the old desires don't instantly go away. Of course, some may, but there's still an old nature to contend with. But we are not to give in to them. Again, I wouldn't like to scrutinize this particular statement to the nth degree, but to some extent, dear friends, we are the sum of the choices we make on a daily basis. You see, I believe it is possible for the child of God to conform to old desires, even though he or she has the Spirit of God living in them. When temptation comes, the child of God has a choice to make. And of course, we read that no temptation besets us, but God has prepared a way that we can escape it. But when temptation comes, we have a choice. We can either give in to the old desires or we can resist those desires. John Owen put it something like this. He said, "Your, your state, in other words, he means you're your standing before God, is not at all to be measured by the opposition that sin makes to you. In other words, he's holding up his hands and saying, sin's going to have a go at you. It's going to tempt you. But that doesn't, that's not the measure of your standing before God. He says that your your standing before God is measured by the opposition that you make to sin. Tom Wright in his book uh, Virtue Reborn talks of forming habits of the heart. He talks of cultivating our hearts and training our hearts. He, he suggests that it's about making the right choices, informed choices. And I have to agree with him when he says, you know, when you get it right once, it strengthens you for the next time. Friends, again, we're only touching on the subject, and I'm certainly not negating the fundamental role of the Holy Spirit in uh, working in us and through us. And and giving us the power to overcome sin and temptation. But I just want to drive home personal responsibility this morning. As Christians, our obedience to God is about making habit-forming choices. Choices informed by God's rule or God's word. Choices informed by Christ's example. Habits that become second nature to us. You know, when we lived in Germany, uh, I was a uh, uh, chaplain to a particular unit. There are a couple of units over there, actually. But one of the units, uh, the, the young adjutant uh, was our neighbor, and uh, we uh, got on particularly well. And uh, on the odd occasion, he used to come to, to our home. But I remember on one occasion, he uh, told me a bit of his background and how his dad was a, a concert pianist, or at least had been a concert pianist, uh, and how his father. Talk to him as a young lad about the importance of muscle memory, Talk to his son about how he trained so hard and so long that the pieces he played had become second nature to him, how he didn't have to think about where he was going to place his fingers next on the piano keyboard. His hands were already moving in the right direction. It was second nature to him. See, friends, I believe with all my heart that God doesn't simply want us to outwardly obey a set of rules, nor indeed does He want us to discard those rules. Rather, we should be aiming to understand those rules and habitually apply them so that they become ingrained in our nature, so that they become second nature to us, so that we in some ways, no longer have to think about what rule applies in any given situation. But rather, we will act instinctively, because God's Word has so formed our characters. One of the problems we face, of course, is that some old habits die hard, and putting off the old nature sometimes is hard work. But Peter says we are to make choices that involve leaving behind that old way of doing things. Perhaps one of the clearest warnings in this whole area comes from our Lord Himself in the the parable of the unclean spirit in Luke chapter 11, where He tells us how having been cast out of the man, the spirit searches around for a new home, only to return back to the man with seven other spirits more evil than himself. The idea put forward in that particular parable is that it's, it's not simply enough to put off old sinful behavior. There is a need to replace that old way of life by putting on new behavior. This is the point Peter also makes. He doesn't stop with the appeal, uh, with the appeal not to be conformed to the old ways of doing things. He goes on to tell his readers to put on a new way of behaving. Look at Verse 15, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. Friends, I think it's, again, fair to say that the child of God comes to know very early on in his or her Christian life that our primary purpose in life, our primary purpose in life is to live for the glory of God. To live for the glory of God simply means to live according to the pattern that God has spelled out for us in His Word. Verse 22 talks about obeying the truth. That pattern has been exemplified for us in the life of Christ. So if we want to know and practice what it means to live for God's glory, we simply need to look to Christ. There's no need for confusion over what it means to be holy, dear friends. God hasn't blinded us with big words. He's actually spelled it out very clearly and given us the best possible example. His teaching methods are simple uh, and thorough. To be holy simply means applying God's truth. To think as God thinks, revealed in the Bible. To live as Jesus lived, as revealed in the Bible. But, friends, I know this is so obvious. Forgive me, please, for stating the obvious. We will never think as Christ thought, and we will never live as Christ lived unless we know our Bible. The clear implication here is we we need to be reading our Bible so we know and understand what it is that our Heavenly Father wants of us. We will never be as holy as Jesus, but a number of things are absolutely clear. We are holy. We are holy by virtue of the fact that God has called us and He has saved us, He has chosen us out of the nations around us. Secondly, we are commanded to be holy a lifelong process of growing in God's grace, growing as God's children. And the third one is we can be holy. We don't have to despair at our mistakes. We don't have to give up. We can be holy, not least because the Spirit of God is living in us, not least because the Bible teaches us how. Peter even gives his readers two pointers to help uh, along the way. His first pointer is this, uh, verse 13, prepare your minds for action. Friends, uh, again, as part of my job in the military, I had the great privilege uh, just about three years ago, actually, of going to Oman, uh, where our troops were training with the Royal Army of Oman. And in the evening, these young Omani soldiers would uh, uh, get out of their military uniforms and wear what they called their, their, their dish dash. uh long, flowing, white robes suited to the country and the temperatures that they were living in. And, of course, they wore their very smart uh, shimag uh, uh, for headdress. Very similar to what uh, would have been worn in Bible times. Robes that were long and loose and flowing. And when people were preparing for either battle or for work, they would, they would gather up their robes and tuck them into their belt. In other words, they girded up their loins. Indeed, the old King James version renders the verse, gird up the loins of your minds. Prepare your minds. Gird up the loins of your minds. This is a this simple and uh, extremely practical illustration that Peter gives his hearers. It means we, we need to be in a, a ready state. As Peter puts it, we need to gird up the loins of our minds, prepare our minds, discipline our minds, train our minds for action. And again, dear friends, I have to say there's no mystery as to how this is done or how this is achieved. It is achieved through regular and consistent prayer. It's achieved through regular and consistent reading of God's Word, and in light of those two, making informed choices that become habit-forming and second nature. It all starts with what we feed into our minds. And the more of worldly things that we feed into our minds, the more we are going to live out those principles. But the more we feed our minds on the things of God, whether that's through reading the Word of God, whether it's through reading Christian literature, whether it's through listening to to pods, iPods, or whatever they're called, whether it's listening to to, to talks or or, or, uh, whatever it is, whatever it is that we're using to feed the right stuff into our minds, that's where it all begins. What we feed on affects our thinking, and what we think affects our actions. And habitual right thinking and right actions produces character. Peter goes on in verse 13 to say, be self-controlled, or as one translation puts it, be sober-minded. It would seem that what Peter has in mind here is the idea of avoiding becoming intoxicated with the cares of this life. Friends, we've all been there, haven't we? The cares of this life and the worries that family life brings, the worries that COVID brings, the worries that the next job prospects are going to bring. We've all been there, worrying, becoming intoxicated with the cares of this life. Friends, these cares can dull our minds to God's ways and God's desires. These cares can make us unfruitful. They can even lead men into temptation, lead them away from their walk with God. I love further application that John Gill in his commentary brings out on this point. He talks about being intoxicated with errors or false doctrine. Surely, dear friends, a problem in our day Gill talks of how errors from the pulpit or errors in our understanding of the scripture or false doctrine can, as he puts it, lull men to sleep. No threat, no challenge, just something easy so that we can be lulled to sleep. Can render us incapable of serving Christ and His church. So then, the warning is, be sober. Learn to discern false teaching. Learn to discern false doctrine. Friends, by way of conclusion, and I I do emphasize again, we really are only scratching the surface on the whole issue of of holiness and developing Christian character. But I suggested earlier that (coughs) watching... Football on the television will not make the armchair expert a famous sports personality. Simply watching football will not make you or me a competent sports person. Knowing all the names of the best players and knowing all the best maneuvers in the game will not make you this generation's George Best or David Beckham. Two things are needed to be a premier class footballer. The first is gift and the second is hard work. And the same principles, I believe, apply to developing Christian character. First, we need the gift, the gift that God alone can give, the gift of salvation, the gift of new birth. Indeed, as I've already said, the gift of holiness that is ours through our spiritual connection with Christ. But secondly, we need to work hard. We need to work hard, dear friends, to develop our new characters. We need to know when to put down that secular magazine or turn off that secular program and listen to or read something that is more edifying. Friends, there is no mystery to how it's all achieved. We simply cannot be profoundly influenced by that which we do not know. We simply cannot be influenced or profoundly influenced by that which we do not know. Therefore, as Christians, we need to be reading and we need to be applying the Word of God. We need to be making informed choices that become habitual or second nature. The South African golfer, Gary Player having won yet another tournament, was being interviewed by uh, a somewhat cocky and perhaps critical journalist who happened to suggest that Player had been lucky that, that day, that he'd had a few lucky shots, uh, to which uh, Player responded, something along these lines, yeah, he says, there, there may, have been, may have been a wee bit lucky today. But you know, I've found in life that the harder I practice, the luckier I get. Friends, Peter is telling these Christians, these true believers, to be obedient. To outwardly show their relationship to God by their behavior, by their transformed characters. I want to say, hand on heart this morning, such obedience will be imperfect. It will be imperfect because we have not yet been made perfect. But it will be the norm. Friends, I also want to say our obedience may be in part. We will stumble. We will fall. We will trip over. Nevertheless, it will be all embracing. We will seek to apply it to every part of our lives There will be no such thing as compartmentalizing our lives when it comes to our obedience to God. Our obedience may be reluctant on occasions. Those of us who are parents have seen that. Sometimes uh, our children's obedience is somewhat reluctant. But it will be from the heart nonetheless not simply imposed by a greater power, but flowing from a heart that has been changed by the grace of God. Our obedience may even be a little self-centered sometimes. But friends, it will never be to gain God's approval or God's acceptance. Because we are accepted in Christ and on the basis of His saving work. And it is precisely because we have been accepted in Christ and because we are thankful for our salvation and because we are aware of God's love and God's grace in our lives that we will want to grow up to be the sort of children that bring pleasure to their Heavenly Father. Amen. Let's pray.